there are things that are true no matter what I do and no matter what people think about them or what their opinions are, there are things that are just true. Welcome to Live Right Now. This is a podcast where we discover and share principles about how life works. It kind of all started back in high school where I started to interview people just based on a video idea I had. And I learned that there's principles that go into relationships, health, time management, and pretty much everything in life. Actions that we can take and ways we can think and behave that when we do that, we actually get good outcomes in our life. And so I'm, I'm really excited to have with us Professor Bob Morley, not Bob Morley, yeah, right? that's right. And who is a, well, why don't you in- introduce yourself, what you do and a little bit about yourself and, and your main interests in life. Sure. So I teach in the business department at BYU Idaho. Of course, I tend to teach our organizational leadership and then also sometimes international business because that's my background and also intro to business. And my background, I actually come from the training and consulting industry, focusing mostly on building international partnerships. I worked with the Frank, with Franklin Covey and then with a company called Vital Smarts that's since changed their name to Crucial Learning. And then I ended that part of my career with the Arbinger Institute on their executive team where I was the vice president of international partnerships at the at the Arbinger Institute. And it was a wonderful ride. I, I really loved it. And I love being outside and doing anything physical, cross-country skiing, running, biking, basketball, ultimate frisbee. And and I also like to think often about true principles and how they can make our lives better. And I spend I think a lot of my time here at the university, either thinking about pondering that message and, and trying to make my life or other people's lives better through true principles or, or, or interviewing and talking with other students to help them in that journey. And that's probably the thing I'm most passionate about in my life right now. That's a beautiful purpose. What, what would you say your message is to the world if you could leave the world with a simple statement or belief or realization what would that be? I think that um, we talk a lot here at BYU-Idaho about disciple leadership. And to me, being a disciple leader or, or being a disciple of Jesus Christ means that you have decided to live your life continually seeking more truth and trying to align your life with that truth and trying to make everyone in your path, or not make, trying to invite everyone else in your path to take a similar journey. And I think, I think just being a part of that journey is the most important message that, that I have in my life and that I, that I want to make my life's work. That's awesome. There's a couple of things there that people would have to really understand in order to be able to even receive that message, right? Yeah. We live in a society that's very indoctrinated with moral relativism and the idea that there even is truth, you know, seems, seems foreign to a lot of people. So yeah. what would you say to that? Like, what is moral relativism? How does it, how does it affect people? Well, it's a good question. I, I, I think that first it can be easy for someone who's not a moral relativist to say that moral relativism is just so obviously wrong. You know, to say, to say it's just ridiculous to think that something can be true for one person and not for another. You know, truth is truth and falsehood is falsehood. And it can be easy to make that assertion 
Then, but if we step back and we think about someone who may have had experiences in their life that corroborate saying, well, you know, I, I tried applying a certain thing that someone told me to do and it didn't work for me like it worked for them. Or, or I feel differently, I feel so differently about a certain issue than another person that moral relativism must be true. And, and I could see how someone could come to that conclusion as well. I don't think it's a correct conclusion. I, I think what, what is lacking in a, when someone is convinced of moral relativism is they haven't yet had enough experience with absolute truth to, to realize, oh, there are things that are true no matter what I do and no matter what people think about them or what their opinions are there are things that are just true and i think that i think experience with truth is a lens by which someone could could change their views about moral relativism but i don't fault people for feeling that way because if you look around in our current world there aren't many people who act in such a way or who who try to follow the truth in such a way that that it appears absolute, it, it appears to be a shaky foundation. If all you've observed in your life is shaky foundations, then moral relativism would, would be a, one way to explain that. So are, are you saying that because people see other people not really applying true principles or not, not being true to their principles, they fault the foundation instead of the people themselves. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. I, I, I think that that explains it well. And, and I, I think that if you yourself have not experienced a foundation that is a sure foundation, and then you observe around you that no one else does either, then the only explanation that would make any sense is that there is no sure foundation, even though I don't believe that's true. But, but uh, because, and the reason I don't believe it's true is because I've had experience over and over again throughout my life that tells me that regardless of my ability to align my life with truth, there are certain things that are just true. One example would be that caring about other people and learning to find meaning in our life by serving others is actually the only path to finding real meaning in life is, is by actually finding our meaning as part of something bigger than ourselves. And that's one of, I'm sure, billions of truths that, that we could learn or have yet to learn, but that's one that I just believe is absolutely true. So taking that as an example, so you've had experiences that have shown you that if you limit your focus on where you get meaning in your life to yourself and exclude other people from that, then that's less fulfilling than when you have focus on serving and helping others and caring about what they need. And I, and I actually, I've, I find great meaning in the idea that my own meaning is enhanced and enlarged as I find the ways that I can help other people. You know, that, that's where my meaning actually exists. If, if I were an island unto myself, I never could have found that meaning. You know, like, it just wouldn't, I'd just be studying truth for the sake of studying it with nowhere to practice it. Yeah, and, and yeah. it's not even complete, it's a half truth. It's, yeah. So 
I want to kind of get into some of these questions specifically. The first question is, how do our actions, actually, first I want to kind of lay the groundwork. So what what we're saying here is that there are true principles that apply in life that if you learn those principles or recognize how things are and you live according to that, then you'll get better outcomes in your life. Yeah. Right? And so there's principles of relationships, there's principles of health, there's principles of productivity, there's principles of happiness. Yeah. Would you say there's principles of like any good outcome we want, there's principles to achieve that outcome? Yeah, I would definitely support that. I, I think one example of that would be I've been struggling with, an, with a hearing problem recently that has to do with inflammation in my inner ear. And, and the, in order to repair that problem, we've had to take some very aggressive approaches to, to influence the inflammation, stop that inflammation from happening. And as much as I love ice cream, ice cream is one of the things that you know, milk products would contribute to inflammation. And so if I were to continue eating ice cream just because I like it, even if I don't believe that it will cause inflammation, but it does, then it's going to cause greater deafness. And there's really nothing I can do about that. So I can either align myself with the principle of saying I'm not going to eat products that cause inflammation or not. But I can't choose whether they, whether they cause inflammation or not. You can't choose the outcome. Yeah, that's right. So what I'm hearing is there, there seems to be a cause and effect relationship here. That if we do these things, we get these outcomes. Yeah. So, so how do our actions affect the outcomes we receive in our life? Well, I think, I think that every, like a law of physics, you know, where for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. I think that that actions produce waves like in a law of physics. And if we act a certain way, we actually can't be the one who determines the, the ultimate outcome of that action. We just get to determine the action. And, and there are certain actions that are aligned with true principles that produce good outcomes. And there are actions that are not aligned with true principles that, that produce chaos or or bad actions, or bad bad results, I guess you could say. Gotcha. Could you give us like an example of that? Or maybe build off an example? Yeah, so one example would be, you could take a moral issue. Like, okay. a lot of people in the world, because pornography has become so popular and so pervasive, a lot of people believe that the way that intimacy is created and sustained is the way that it's portrayed on film in pornography and but if you were to actually observe the outcomes over time and observe what happens to a relationship when there is no commitment and there's 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 sexual action that 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 shows commitment but without commitment underlying it mm-hmm. and without virtue underlying it i think that that there is a natural consequence of 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 behaving against the laws of nature you know, like you, you could observe across many religions, many, you know, non-religious people and any groups and say, does acting in the ways portrayed in pornographic film create depth of trust and relationship, even though it's, it's called intimacy, does it actually create intimacy? 
And the answer, I think, would be a resounding no. Right. That's powerful. So there seems to be like principles that give good outcomes. And then when you ignore those principles, or maybe we might, we might call it false principles, yeah. you get negative outcomes or yeah. you at least don't get the outcomes you're looking for, right? Yeah. So here's another question is how does taking responsibility for our actions affect our ability to control our lives or affect our level of control in our lives? That's a good question. I, I think that uh, one of the one of the most poignant, and this, this comes from the Seven Habits and Franklin Covey, where I worked for a long time and things like that, but, but and Dr. Covey took it from, from Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how when he was strapped to a gurney in a Nazi concentration camp with doctors performing experiments on his body, he had this great realization that the last of all human freedoms is our ability to choose our response to any set of circumstances. And, and that was liberating for him. It's ultimately it saved his life. It became the foundation for the entire rest of his career and, and his logotherapy and the, the things that he taught as a professor and as an author throughout his life. And, and I, I think that, that being responsible in a way says being response-able, meaning that, that whatever we face, whatever comes our way, knowing that we are able to respond and actually to be the, the active determinant of the response is uh, one of the most liberating concepts we can discover as human beings, that, that we are the, we're not the author of the circumstances in our lives but we are the author to every single response. And in that sense, being responsible for our actions means discovering that we are response-able and, and able to. That's amazing. So our, saying that our response to what happens to us doesn't depend on what happens to us. Yeah, yeah, that, that is, that's a great truth and it's a universal truth. You know, that, that's something that, that maybe even a moral relativist, we could sit down together. And even though we don't see eye to eye, could say, do we both agree that we are able to choose our response to any given situation? And that, that might be a place where we could start and saying, that's, I think that's a universal truth. I don't know, they might find a good reason to disagree with me, but, I, but that seems like an area where that seems like something impossible to refute. All right, that's, that's so powerful. It, it, there's, there's so many, um ways we could take this, but why don't you expound a little bit more on that? Well, like, what does that mean for society, for people to recognize that they're able to respond to their circumstances? Yeah, I, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it, because I, I think a lot of times we think, we think, well, these, this is the hand we're dealt. There's nothing we can do about it. And like Economic, yeah. relationships. Yeah. And in a sense, that's true in that the hand that you're dealt is the hand that you're dealt. And you can't, you can't just change the cards. But, the, but I think that where that could be liberating is like, for example, a, a Democrat leader could say, you know, the, a Democrat leader in a Republican state could say, well, Idaho has always voted Republican for who knows how many decades. And so, yes, I'm going to run just on the basis of of platform, but there's really nothing I can do to make Idaho more like I would like Idaho to be. Because, the, you know, I, I don't think that either political party comes to be so 
strongly convinced of their position because of the falsehoods in their position. I think most people see great truth and great import in their in things that they feel passionate about. And so for this democratic leader, they might say, well, I'm probably never going to get elected given my circumstances, but what can I do to influence the outcomes in my state so that we're actually a state that aligns more with the truth that I value? And how could I work with other Republicans to determine what truth we share and build a society that honors those truths. And that, that, that reframes the question of, it reframes the question of how do I influence political process? You know, instead of just how do I get people to come to my side? It's how do we together build a way of working together that honors true principles and that respects one another and helps things go better. So having, recognizing those principles that do apply to everyone and in all circumstances allows you to build common ground with people when otherwise you wouldn't, wouldn't be able to. Absolutely. And in fact, I think that's one of the, the tragedies of moral relativism is that uh, a person who is thinking in relative terms is going to see another human being as someone who cannot see their truth. You know, like, like, no matter what I say or do, that person will never see my truth because my truth doesn't match their truth. And so we're bitter enemies until the end. But if there is a place that is actually true where those two parties can meet and begin to, to build a common foundation based on true principles, that's where, that's where unity is found amidst diversity. I mean, diversity is wonderful and a, and a blessing if we can value the truth that each side brings to the table. And, and by saying that each side brings different truth to the table, what I don't mean is moral relativism, that, oh, well, that's your truth and it's, and it's different than mine. They just have different pieces of, of the puzzle that are both equally true. Different perspectives on the same yeah. object or the same topic. Yeah, different perspectives is, yeah, that's, that's a really important way to look at it. So we, we talked about being responsible yeah. and how that affects our ability to have control in our life. Yeah. And then also, I guess with that is well, just what you were talking about that like some things, in fact, there are some things that are relative in life, right? And there are some things that are absolute. Yeah. There are some things that are true for everyone and there are some things that are true for some people. Some things are true always and some things are only true for a moment, you know, and some things are just true for you and, and other things are true for the whole universe and, and, and for the entire galaxy, right? And so I, I, I think we often take, we often create like a false dichotomy between like moral relativism and, and absolute morality that mm-hmm. we're saying they're two different things that can't, can't coincide, but mm-hmm. usually there's a, a, what do they call it? A third, third al- alternative, alternative yeah. right? So what yeah. is that third alternative for you? Or, or um, what's the balance there between things that are relative and things that are absolute? That's a good question. I don't really know a good answer to it, but I'll, I'll venture one. Okay. <laughs> I think that my personal belief is that, there, that the truth is the truth, always. What you're talking about, though, I mean, there are some things that are temporary, you know, things like that. But, right. but like a principle, there, there are just true universal principles that are always true. And when we look at a situation and it looks like it's morally relative, it may be that that the human beings who are at the table trying to decide whether something is moral or not 
don't see the whole picture of the truth. You know, and one, one person saying, well, I believe God's law is this and you don't, you don't agree with me and so you must be completely wrong. So the limitation isn't in the truth, it's in how people are seeing the truth That's or how right. much of the truth they see. Yeah, the amount, the amount of understanding that the individuals at the table have of what is actually true will seriously influence their ability to see eye to eye. I, I think in and finding what things they share will get them much closer to knowing what is actually true. Because, for, for example, you know, like some really challenging topics to address. Like, you can say a religious person is saying, "Well, I think that gay marriage is wrong because the Bible defines it as," wrong. and I believe the Bible to contain. God's truth, and God's truth is absolute. That's a pretty hard stance to see anything beyond that when you get into a conversation around gay marriage. But then if you have another individual who is saying, I read the same Bible, and I believe that God wants his children to be happy and to honor who they are and to love one another and to give each other opportunities to choose what their life will be. Those things are also true, you know? And, and while I don't want to venture an answer to that problem, you know, or, or to that quandary between the two of them, I think where they, where, where they begin to find peace and positive ways forward is by recognizing that both of them see some incredibly true and important things and, and, and that's where they're going to find a solution together, is by, by seeing the truth that one another sees. And I think that if they were to switch tables, and it's a different issue, but you have, you have the one guy who was talking about the truths in the Bible, and you go on and say, does the Bible teach us to value differences, to love one another, to want people to be able to honor their, their the, their desires for love and then things like that, you know, I think we would find that person in a different context saying, of course it does. Okay. It's just the context and the, the apparent opposition that makes it hard to, to, come, to, a, to come to an agreement. And there, there's lots of issues in life that are so complex that, you know, I, I don't pretend to be the one that could say, well, here's the actual solution to that problem. All I know is that the solution comes from two people who, who love the truth that one another possess, that, that, that each person possesses. Or sees. And they, or sees, yeah. Okay. And they, they really look for that together, and they look, for, they look for common foundations of principles that are universally true. That's amazing. So truth exists outside of how well we see it, right? And yeah. But our ability to apply truth to our lives is limited by our perception of it, our understanding of it, and then our ability to reconcile with other people who are make, coming to different conclusions based on the truth they see. Our ability to get along with them depends on us seeing the way they see That's right. and seeing the truth they're seeing. That's such a powerful perspective. I, I feel like what you're saying is that the way to resolve conflict and to get along with people is to recognize that it's not right or wrong. It's not my perspective or your perspective. It's that both perspectives are valid. I've often, I've often thought 
and we're both perspectives have at least some truth in it, right? Yeah, and there's probably, because we're talking human beings, there's probably misconceptions and falsehood associated with both persons' points of view. Both people are, might be seeing some things wrong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and they might be right. And I think where they find a path forward is not in pointing out where the other one is wrong. Right. It's in it's in looking at the truth closely together and and then learning over time to question humbly and willingly what things in our perspective might actually be incomplete either incomplete or partly false. Gotcha. So it's like we're standing on a on a table or a common ground and but we're limited how far we can see on that. But we're both standing there and we can we can find those things that we both see are true and then we can start to open our mind and see each other's perspectives but in the end regardless of how well we see it there are things that are always true right yeah that that i feel 100 percent certain about (laughs) so so what are some evidences of, of that in the world you know for for someone who's coming from a place of my truth your truth and moral relativism and i'll do whatever i want because I get to decide what's true. How, what are some evidences that there are universal truths and that our actions might actually have consequences related to those truths? The, what comes to my mind is large scale and small scale examples. Okay. So on the large scale, we could think of times when there have been terrible destructions amongst human beings. We could think of like genocide in Rwanda or, or the the genocides of World War II, and and we could look at the evidence of what happens when when someone's relative truth is actually false, and that relative truth is projected upon humanity, and and some of the things, <clears throat> some of the outcomes that we have seen by projecting the Nazi way of thinking on humanity, the outcomes were absolute disaster. So negative outcomes equals false false principle. I think so. Then, no, you'd, you'd, have to, you'd have to make an assumption that negative outcomes are, that we actually know that the outcome was negative. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Some are pretty obvious, you know, like, like the fruit of what the Nazis did was just obviously evil. Did a lot of harm. Did a lot of harm. And same within Rwanda, you know, the, no matter how many Tutsi, no matter how many Hutus believed that the Tutsis needed to be killed and destroyed, it never made it right. And, and ultimately, for the Hutu and Tutsi to, to be able to coexist, they had to choose to honor different principles, principles of truth versus principles of darkness or chaos, you know. And, and the same thing happened in, in Germany, you know, for, for Nazi Germany to be put back together as a society that actually honors the human beings who are all of the people had to shift the principles that they were practicing and believing in in order to get good outcomes. And, and the same thing would apply at the micro level. If, if I, as an individual, start taking meth because it makes me feel really good and my teeth start to rot out, my hair starts to fall out, and like, I don't have any hair to fall out, but, but if, if, if that starts to happen in my life, then I've got to recognize at some point that I'm, that I'm treating my body in a way that does not honor the principles of what, hap- of what takes care of a body. 
Right. And, and the only way that my body's actually going to turn from its state of destruction is to honor true principles. So principles of health, of good outcome. That's right. All right. So it sounds like what we're saying here is that good things are good, you know, that we actually want good outcomes. We actually yeah. want health. We actually want happiness. And, and in order to have those things, you have to apply the principles that allow for that to happen. Yeah. And, and you can't ignore those principles and still get those outcomes. Yeah. Yeah, you really can't. You, you, could, you could beat yourself up against those principles all day long and it would never produce a good outcome. Yeah, I mean, you, could use, you could use meth for 100 billion years if your body could sustain it. And it would never produce a happy body. You know, it would produce misery 100% of the time because it, it, it's a drug that's been created in violation of the principles of what makes a body work well. Right. So I, just to kind of wrap up, I, I know you, you need yeah, to get sure. going, but it, it seems like there's a, a time where bad things seem good, right? Yeah. Like, for example, ice cream, like, that's not a bad thing, right? I could say objectively, you know, ice cream's not bad, but I have to look at it both in the short term and the long term. In the short term, it's delicious, you know, yeah, and, and yeah. it's great. But what happens to me over the course of my life, you know, is there is there kind of a time factor involved in, in being able to see true principles or how does that work? I think there is a time factor and that's one of the challenges of, of learning to align our life with truth is we could we could choose to follow a principle that will lead to misery, but it won't lead to misery for a long time. <laughs> you know, sometimes it takes a good year, two years, 20 years to actually reap the fruit of what we have sown. And the same thing applies to true principles. You know, like someone could, someone could say, well, I was honest and honesty led to me getting fired by someone who was dishonest. And how's that a good outcome? You know, and, and in that sense, I believe that eternal truth requires an eternal lens to, to, actually, to actually be able to measure those ultimate outcomes. I think, I think our souls are built to be able to measure by degrees whether we're honoring a true principle or not, All right. if we're willing to listen. But, but I think outcome-wise, outcomes can be severely delayed, you know? So, so, that, so we live in a world of delayed consequences. Then. Yeah. Yeah, like, like I, I could see, like, the Hitler youth looking around at all of their leaders and thinking, hey, these guys have it made. They've got all the women they want, all the respect they want, all the power they want. And they're absolute bullies and they're hate mongers. And so bullying and hate mongering must be the path to glory. And I suppose outcomes also have to be defined under the lens of what is actually true. Because if you define glory as power over other human beings and, and being able to exercise your will however you want, and, and that's glory. In that sense, truth becomes relative because, because you have, you've said, well, that's the outcome I want. And so I'm gonna honor the principles that get me that outcome. And in that sense, but well, actually truth's still not relative because you're just honoring the principles that lead to those outcomes. And those happen to be principles of chaos and darkness. 
that will ultimately lead to chaos and darkness. Yeah. So, so it's not that it's not necessarily that people can't act on a certain way of believing and get outcomes that they want. It's just more of a question of if you want good out. Yeah. Ultimately to, good. You have if you want outcomes that are ultimately good for yourself and, and yourself in context of society and life and the universe and everything, yeah. then you have to apply good principles. You have to apply the principles that lead to that. To those outcomes. I kind of want to clarify that, I, I guess, when we're saying principles here, we're talking cause and effect. And the principle is the cause and the effect is the outcome, right? Yeah. And in, in that sense, you know, we've talked about universally true principles. I, I think that there are there are principles of order and light and principles of darkness and chaos. And I think people apply principles of darkness and chaos all the time to create more darkness and chaos. So, Where does that lead, though? Yeah, I mean, it leads to more darkness and chaos, right? But, but I, I think that principles, uh, in, in the sense that we're talking about them in terms of there's they're something that is a cause and an effect, principles of light or darkness would, would fall into, into the, under that definition. Right. You know, it's just one has effects of light and the other has effects of darkness. So what's the end in mind? Yeah. And I, I uh, there's a lot to go into there. Maybe we'll have to do another interview yeah, sometime sure. about good and bad and what that means. Yeah. But so last, last few questions for you, just rapid fire. Is, is life more affected by choices or by circumstances? It'd be a I, trick question. My quick, my quick answer is, is more by choices. You know, like, uh, and that's the quick answer. But that, I mean, that's a tough one because, like, you look back to Viktor Frankl and the fact that in his circumstances he was in Auschwitz for, I don't know, whatever number of years he was in Auschwitz. His life was severely impacted by consequence or, or by by circumstances. Yeah. So more or less affected by choice or circumstance, I don't know. Who we become and who we are is affected entirely by choice and much less by circumstance. But, but then there would be very good arguments to say, but yeah, someone who is born and raised in one circumstance versus someone else who's born and raised in another circumstance, their, their choices and their ability to understand the truths that help them make good choices and things are, are, are influenced a lot by their circumstance. So I think that one's almost like a chicken or the egg question. Both are incredibly influential in our life. But the good news is that we can, we can choose our response in any given set of circumstances. And knowing knowing that we can helps us to do that. That's right. So last question for you is, well, I, I want to ask you this and then I'll ask a question that I, I want to start asking everyone on the podcast. Sure, yeah. So here's the question is, how would you help someone change their life? Based on what we're talking about, what, what would you tell someone, someone, you know, a product of their culture growing up in this society right now is experiencing unhappiness because of not not applying true principles. How would you help them change their life? What would you tell them to help them see this? Well, I think there's two answers to that. I'll give a religious and a non-religious. The the okay. non-religious would be at least in at least in language. I think they're both religious ultimately. But but the in language, what I might tell someone in a non-religious context is is I would say I would I would try to help them see that better outcomes exist, which probably wouldn't be too hard. They probably already know that better outcomes exist in the world. And then to, to recognize that, that 
keeping true principles leads to better outcomes. And then... Um, so their actions, regardless of their circumstances. Yeah, and then, and then I would try to help them make the choice themselves, motivate themselves and, and make the choice themselves to choose differently so that they can have different outcomes in their life. To just recognize I'm response-able and so I'm able to choose my response and, and I'm able to choose, I'm able to make choices that will lead to better outcomes in my life. And in a religious sense, I would, I would point them to Jesus Christ because the whole message of Jesus Christ is that, that he is the great example of what, of what living according to true principles looks like. He is an enabler in that he willingly helps people. He has helped me in my life to become more able to live true principles and to practice them and to, to not only have his inspiring example, but have his help in my heart and in my soul. And, and lastly, that he's, he's a redeemer in that when we haven't lived according to true principle, his message is that that, that can be completely wiped clean and we can start fresh over and over and over and over in an iterative process until we become what we actually want to be. And I think those two messages go together. You know, like, I don't think one is without the other, but, but that's, that's what I share with them. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thanks. So, because there, there just seems to be this struggle that with truth comes responsibility. If I take responsibility for my actions or for the outcomes I'm experiencing, how can I do that? You know, it's so hard. Life is so difficult. I would much rather blame my circumstances or say yeah. that truth is relative and I don't really want those outcomes. Yeah. So, so that it's empowering because Christ enables us to be able to do that. Yeah. Last question for you is, what does it mean to you to live right now? Hmm. Which is the name of the podcast. That's great. I think it sounds like there's a double meaning in the phrase. Okay. One is to live right now. You know, like to to actually what we've been talking about some today, but to proactively choose to live. You know, say I'm I'm going to choose my life and I'm going to I'm going to live it. So live live right now. You know, like like don't wait, do it now. And then the other is is to live right now. Meaning, meaning, don't just live, but live right according to right and true principles, and do it today. Thank you so much. Any any last comments for our audience today? No, thanks. Thanks for the interview. It's been really really enlightening for me to to grapple with some of these things and 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 think through think through the things that are ultimately foundational to my life and, and my worldview and and things like that and. Ultimately, it's funny, as certain as I sound about some of the things I'm sharing today, I bet I'll have more perspective as my years go on and I'll, uh, I'll see things more clearly. And, and I'm excited about that. that. That to me is one of the most hopeful aspects about our future as, as human beings and as, as, a, as the human race in general, is that we can keep learning if we choose to. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us today. Live right now. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jay.